Welcome, everybody, to uh, the second episode of We All Speak of Poems, a podcast where I speak to creatives and artists and anybody who I find inspiring. Um, today, we have Ben from Neon Pajamas. He is a writer, a librarian, uh, the art director for Memoir Music and Chill Hop, and the operator of the website Neon Pajamas. Um, did I get everything? Is is that it? Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, you got it all. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. You wear so many hats. And when I was starting this podcast, I was like, I have to get you on this. Because when I'm just searching for inspiration and stuff, all you have to do is go to your Twitter feed, all the stuff you <laughs> repost, you know, and then also on, on your website on Neon Pajamas, your writing that you do, like just read through one of your micro fictions. And it's just like, okay, I'm ready to create whatever I need to, you know? Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, a lot of the the Twitter feed in general is almost like a, like a commercial break for my brain. If I'll be working hard on something or trying to spend a lot of time on a certain project and I need a, just a little refresher, or if I've hit a brick wall or a speed bump, then I'll kind of just go to either like Instagram art or art on behance.net, which I use a lot. Um, and just try to find something that I really, that really captivates me. And then I just do a quick share and then kind of go back to work. So it's almost like, uh, I guess other people might just browse their timeline or whatever, but I kind of like, okay, let me go find some cool art. Okay, this is inspiring. Okay, let me get back to this project and kind of have like a fresh set of eyes. For sure. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, and it's probably even good for you. You can just scroll your own timeline in the future and like be totally. reminded <laughs> of stuff, you know? Um, I wanted to ask about Neon Pajamas in general. So when, when did that actually start? Like the website and everything? I think it was officially launched uh, in 2017. Um, the, the name, my, so my last name is Nespajani, and um, one of my friends in middle school, his dad couldn't pronounce my name, so he just started calling me Neon Pajamas, and he was like, there was there was word that he would use it as like a curse word when he was playing golf. He would like miss a putt or whatever and be like, oh, Neon Pajamas, <laughs> and it was kind of like a joke for a while, and then it just kind of, you know, when the internet era appeared where we had to start making handles, it just seemed like the right choice. Um, so it was Neon Pajamas a long time before 2017, but that was when I launched my website. I'm really trying to cover instrumental albums, um, ambient albums, down-tempo, instrumental hip-hop. Um, and then I slowly started kind of adding in um, collage artists, graffiti mm -hmm. artists, um, poets, short story writers. It kind of just expanded. Um, yeah, short film directors, basically anything that kind of cap captures my eye that's multimedia and I felt like sharing. For sure, yeah. And back in 2017, I, for some reason, I thought it had gone longer than that because I feel like I actually had found you probably around 2017, 2018 through Neon Pajamas. And you were one of the better sort of reviewers of ambient music and instrumental music, like right from the get-go. Everybody that I know was like, okay, obviously we're sending it to Neon Pajamas and then, you know, whoever else, whoever else. Um, but then as you started to expand it to the interviews to the poets and, and whoever else like it just started to get more and more inspiring and it was it was really 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 cool to see and even setting up for this you know the questions that you ask in your interviews you know they're so different from what other people are asking you know it's just not it's not just base level oh how do you write your music it's like who are they as a person mm -hmm. and it's really cool and I, I was wondering if if you know have have you ever thought about doing like a, a podcast of your own or whatever because it's so informational <laughs> i definitely have and i feel like every time i think about it i just get overwhelmed and i just think yeah i'm already doing so much and how can i attack this on um 
but yeah, it's always been one of those things. I've always been a little bit hesitant with my own voice and then adding video or anything like that just seems like, Oh boy. Um, but I've always liked, I mean, anytime that I like a song or an album or a movie, I want to find out who's in charge of that. I want to find out what their social media presence is and try to contact them and ask them some questions. Um, so anytime that I'm really into something, I always want to go behind the scenes. I always kind of want to nitpick. So I love, you know, a text Q&A interview. I love doing back and forth on email. Um, the audio component has always been hesitant because I'm like, oh, I'm going to fumble or I'm going to slip up or, you know, my mic's not going to be working or, you know, something like that. So it's, it's always been kind of in the back burner. But uh, yeah, maybe someday. I don't know. Yeah, because me and my partner, uh, Chantel, were talking yesterday. And, uh, you know, it also helps when you're interviewing writers and stuff. I'm assuming if they get, you know, all the time in the world to write a nice paragraph about whatever the question is, instead of off the top of their head on, you know, on audio, um, probably helps with that. And that's what I was assuming the answer would be. But mm-hmm. it's cool that you've thought about it. I think you'd do a great one if you if you had time. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things, all the worries and concerns that I have, those would all be gone by, what, episode five, right? You kind of get all the jitters out of the way and you start to kind of do it. Um, there was a short segment where I did Neon Nightlights um, on SoundCloud where I kind of did like my favorite songs and I just did like a monthly or bi-weekly, whatever it was, um, just kind of a rundown of my favorite tracks. And I tried really hard to kind of have like that NPR voice. So in between like four or five songs, I'd be like, you just heard XYZ and you're about to hear. Um, and then I would listen to it afterwards on SoundCloud because I was like, okay, these are my favorite songs. I might as well you know, listen to this playlist. And I would get so turned off by hearing my voice every three songs that it, the program just eventually evolved to just an hour mix, no voice. You know, I just kind of was like, if I feel like it takes you out of that trance a little bit when it's like a radio segment, but I, cause I wasn't, I wasn't providing any additional detail. I wasn't giving you any cool behind the scenes info. I was just kind of listing the tracks. And I think going back, I would have had like, you know, some interesting trivia or something like that to kind of oh yeah mention a little bit better as opposed to just listing the tracks and going forward. I mean, especially now, since you're kind of in the camp of memoir and chill hop, which we'll get into because I'm really interested to see to hear how uh, that started. But um, you have access to the trivia of some of these artists. Like, I'm sure you could sit down with whoever um, through them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, actually, I guess we'll get onto it now. How, how did it even start your relationship with memoir and, and chill hop? So I think it first started um, shortly after launching my website. And I, I said 2017 earlier, but I'm looking at it actually was 2016. So you were right. Oh, okay. okay. And I was actually looking with the first article that I wrote about you. And it was, we all speak in poems, December 22nd, 2016, which from what I hear oh, is, the, wow. is the name of the podcast. So it's a really yeah. good, uh, my first time writing for you on my website. And then, uh, you know, kind of comes full circle with the name five years later. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's really amazing having bloggers or writers just kind of form that relationship right like as long as you liked it i could almost assume that you would at least hear it Mm -hmm. whatever the music is like um i feel like you're very connected to whoever whatever artists you've already you know covered uh and that was really exciting thing coming up with albums and tracks and being like okay when's neon pajamas thing gonna come out and if it didn't (laughs) it's not a big deal obviously but uh even the one where you you covered uh, views from 16 stories and sleeping since last year in one post mm-hmm. and i thought that was a really cool thing and um, i'm just getting a, a glimpse of your website now like it just popped into my head even the formatting of your website right how it's all narrowed down the middle 
it's so cool. Like you don't see that anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. When I first started doing that, I was, I would just do like, you know, the typical paragraph write up. And sometimes I would only have two or three sentences. I'd be in a hurry. And I was like, you know, with the YouTube link on top and with the Spotify embed down below, it just looks like I wrote one quick sentence. But if you turn it into this verse or this lined paragraph, I felt like I spent more time with each little line yeah. so that two or three sentences would look like a full write up and you can kind of scroll and you can go quickly um, so it was almost like, uh, yeah, I guess a cop out, I guess, for making it look like I'm doing more than I was, but it almost felt like you could breathe a little bit better by reading it that way, as opposed to just a stacked paragraph with like heavy links, you know? Exactly. And you can actually get through the full page and it still feels like you just read a page, you know? Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, I mean, it's even when I'm reading, I love, uh, like authors like Max Porter. We've, I think we've talked about him oh, before. Oh, so good. Right. And it's great because especially in Lanny and stuff, some pages aren't really pages, you know? And it's like, oh, I feel like I've just read 50 pages, but in actuality, it's maybe 30. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm already halfway done the book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some of them will be like completely dense, right? They're even, he even had lines where like sentences are stacked on top of other sentences where you can't even read it. And then other pages where it's like just a little tiny piece of prose. Yeah, it's um, amazing. I love yeah, that. Yeah, that book has so much character. And I heard there was some podcast where he was doing um, a reading of it and he was making all these different echoes, like how it looks on the page. And it's really cool. They said that they didn't have him do the audiobook because they got some professional actor or whatever. But his reading was like, wow, they should have had him do that because such an animated voice and he knows the story so well. Yeah, uh, he's my favorite. Um, Shout Lanny out Max Porter. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll have him on this. I yeah. hope so. Um, but to answer to answer your question about uh, the memoir chill up world, so oh, yeah. I did um, I did a write up on Brock Berrigan back in 2017, and his album had just come out, um, and they were doing a vinyl. He was doing a vinyl with Chill Up, um, and I had no idea who Chill Up was at the time, so I just happened to link the vinyl, and then from there we followed each other. And maybe like a week after that release, or maybe even like a few days after that release, um, someone from the Chill Up uh, Twitter account was looking for someone to help with editorials, interviews, music features. Um, so I instantly reached out and was like, yo, you just saw my my story. I don't really know you guys that well, but let's, you know, see what we can do. And from that point on, I was doing like maybe two or three, maybe four interviews a year, very periodical, periodically. Um, but it, I did one with like Philanthrope. I did one with Psalm Trees. Um, I did a couple visual art ones with some of their animators. And it just slowly progressed. And as that company and that label started building, um, the team started expanding and I started just getting more roles um, so it went from a very, very part-time editorial kind of thing to a full-blown, yeah, helping out with both Chill Up and Memoir, doing social media um, assistance as well as art direction and then copywriting for, you know, for the newsletters, for the press releases, um, for pitching to editorials, yeah. kind of a, kind of a jack of all trades, but a lot of, a lot of copywriting and a lot of looking at early art sketches and kind of figuring out what we want to do. Oh, Wow. Getting you on their team was a smart decision by them. I didn't realize that it happened so soon, like so uh, far back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, it, yeah, for a long time, it was just maybe from 2017 to 2019. You know, it was just a few interviews a year. And then it's been about two years now where I've been working pretty full time. Wow. And so a big, like, <laughs> I guess, marketing piece of you uh, is that you are a librarian or were. Are you still a librarian? Currently, yes. Um, so yeah, I've been working at the University of Chicago Library for eight years now, um, as of this month. Um, and it's one of those jobs that I've been there for so long that it just kind of feels like breathing. 
you know, not, I can't really climb any more ladders. I'm kind of at my top supervisor role. Um, so I just feel like I'm kind of going through the motions um, in, a, in a good and bad way. So I'm also looking for different jobs. Um, but it's just such a very easy, relaxing comfort zone. And I have all these books upstairs that I can grab. I utilize interlibrary loan for a bunch of poetry books that I want to read. Mm-hmm. Um, so while it's one of those jobs where I'm like, I cannot be here for another eight years, um, it's definitely has its comforts. And it's one of those um, kind of a low key position. And right now I'm working from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. And then school the quarter, the quarter system starts next week. So I'll go from 4 p.m. to midnight. Um, so it's a really nice way to kind of do chill up during the morning since they're based in Rotterdam. They're seven hours ahead of me. Um, so I kind of wake up and do that. And then I have the evenings at the library and everyone in Rotterdam is already asleep. So there isn't really anything to do. So I might send a few, a few emails during that. But it's kind of like a very busy um, Zoom calls and strategy sessions in the mornings. And then I get to the library and, you know, it's just kind of making sure my students are there on time and, you know, people need to check out books. But it's very, uh, as a library is, it's very, very calm. Man, that's that's awesome. I feel like a librarian is probably very glorified, you know, a glorified position or job. But uh, I mean, you probably get to see new books that are coming through all the time, right? Is that is that a thing? Oh, yeah, totally. And it's also one of those things where, you know, if I'm browsing um, certain Instagram pages or certain Twitter accounts and people share a poem or they share a short story, then I'll just type it into our library catalog and I'll see, oh, that book's right upstairs. It just arrived. And I go grab it and I read it that day or the the next day. And then on the flip side, if we don't have that item, then I can either do interlibrary loan um, or I can suggest a book purchase for the library and we add it to the catalog. So there have been so many books that, you know, I don't have to go grab through um, online distributors, I can just kind of add it to our catalog. And it's kind of a win-win because not only is it in the library for other people to use, I don't have to spend $20 every time I see a book that looks interesting. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, me and me and my partner Chantel go to the bookstore all the time. And something I really want to get into is poetry. Like the stuff you share is very good and inspiring. And I just want to delve right into it. But then you go to the bookstores and it's like you look through the poetry section and you're like... <laughs> I don't want to read any of this. Like, what is going on? So I, I find it so hard to find good poetry. And I feel like I feel like I kind of had that same thing where early on, you know, even even in college, um, the classes that we took where we it was introduced, um, it always seemed like it was so antiquated and you, maybe you had to have it rhyme or you had to look for the meaning. Um, and I was so turned off by it and I didn't really get into it until I was working at the library. And I don't know what, kicked it, but I just kind of saw, I think Richard Brodigan was one of the early writers. Um, I just saw that there were certain people that were writing these prose poems and these microfictions and these tiny little poems, and they don't have a crazy ending or they don't have a wrap up, or it's not just some, you know, 19th century person looking out of a window and, you know, talking about the day, which can also be a great poem. Yes. But I started to see that there were so many other possibilities than what I was taught in school. And from that, I started getting into, you know, indie presses and zines and that whole world just kind of kept opening and opening and opening. It's almost like if you only know mainstream radio and you find out about these indie labels or you find out about even songs on SoundCloud, you're like, oh, my gosh, there's so many songs. Um, So, yeah, maybe I'm finding certain poems that only have, you know, maybe only 100 people have purchased those books or they're they're not going to be in Barnes and Noble or whatever. Yeah, Um, it's very hard to find like good mainstream poetry. But I feel like as time progresses and maybe it's just easier to post on social media for those kind of screenshots or new releases. Um, but I feel like I'm seeing, maybe it's just because I'm following more people like that, but I feel like I'm seeing more and more, you know, creative writing, tiny, brief, 
um, little blurbs of writing coming and going as opposed to before where it seemed a little bit like, I don't know, like it was more of a turnoff, like it wasn't uh, in your wheelhouse, you know? For sure. And yeah, like the microfiction uh, specifically that you write and now that you've got me into, essentially, it's something that I'd never even heard before maybe two years ago. You know, I didn't think it was even a thing, maybe other than like on some obscure blog you know, on the internet. And sure. it's so cool. Like, it's like, I don't know, in, in terms of ambient music, it's like when your favorite artist has that kind of filler track, I don't want to call them filler because they never are, but like the 45 second track mm-hmm. and it like gets you inspired. It gets to the point right away. Like those little, those little piano interludes, right? Exactly. And they're yeah. amazing. And I, I love it a lot. Are, are there like properly published books of microfiction i'm sure there are yeah yeah so when i first i think when i first started kind of getting into that realm it was the the phrase was always flash fiction um and i think i mean anyone has a different everyone has a different definition of it but it's basically like let's say a thousand words or less like you're telling you're telling a story and it's going to be maybe two three pages um so i got into that and then just from the jump the whole idea of writing a novel and i kind of thought that's all you could do or you get a book of short stories and each short story is 20 pages right or a novels you know let's say 200 300 pages and i would always get so overwhelmed i knew that i liked to write i just never had that attention span never could go that long um so i was like okay flash fiction's cool i'd write these little two three page stories and as i guess i got into that world i found out about short short stories and then micro fictions yeah. and there's websites um, there's a website called I think it's called Paragraph Planet, and every submission has to be 75 words exact. Um, That's amazing. Or there's other ones where they'll say, you know, prose poems, 500 words or less, microfictions, 300 words or less. Um, so I find that when I write now, my wheelhouse is kind of in like the two, 300 word range, maybe 150 words if I'm feeling really brief. Um, and I can go like that for, you know, for days, I could, you know, months, years, I could write like that. So I just, but the idea of someone said, sit down and write a novel, I'd be like, there's no way. But I could write you, you know, 300 pages of these little paragraphs, no problem. So it just, it just felt like I could focus all my attention and then maybe, you know, an hour, two hours later, I'd be like, okay, something else. As opposed to like, I'm spending six months on this one story. I don't know where it's going. You know, you can kind of tune in and tune out really easily. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, there's a lot of presses that do um, prose poetry, microfictions. Um, every single year, there's a best microfiction anthology where they pull all of their favorites um, from various oh, journals, wow. favorite magazines, um, and then they put it into a nice anthology. Um, there's a press called Black Ocean that does a lot of like prose poetry and microfictions. Um, and yeah, there's another one um, called Dorothy Press, and they, they published a book called Wild Milk by Sabrina Oramark. And some of, some of the stories are standard, you know, um, short stories, you know, 15, 20 pages. And there's other ones that just feel like a long poem where it's maybe two pages in a paragraph block and it's just stunning. You know, it really takes you on these, on these adventures. Yeah. I find that like a common thing with them is they're super surreal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm going for. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The ones that I really gravitate towards, I'm like, I want to be brought to this crazy world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I feel like I'm the same way. I feel like when I get a, you know, maybe I'll get a stack of 15 books from upstairs at the library and then, I'll actually finish maybe three or four of them. There's a, you know, I'll, I'll kind of scan the first few pages. And if it's not really my voice or not really my style, then I kind of, you know, toss it, toss it aside. But when I gravitate toward it, when I really am, you know, enchanted, then it's usually something surreal or it's something absolutely absurd. 
Um, I don't really care too much for like a hyper realistic where it sounds like somebody, you know, I live in Chicago. So if it's like, you know, so-and-so walked on the CTA and they went downtown, like that does nothing for me because I feel like I can experience that on my own. But, you know, if somebody wakes up and their head fell off and they're trying to get it and it's <laughs> rolling down the stairs, I'm like, you know, that's my bread and butter. I'm like, oh yeah, this is getting good, you know? <laughs> so kind of, kind of the more like just crazy and outlandish, I'm like totally in. Yeah, even you just saying like you wake up and your head falls off and it's rolling down the stairs like that's so out there and it's just so inspiring just to hear that because, you know, you can just imagine the world, you you know, you can imagine the way this if this person's still, you know, cognizant, <laughs> how they feel like they're freaking out because right. their head's rolling away. Oh, it's amazing. I love that. <laughs> so there's the there's the prompt for after our chat. I got to open up a Word document and get after it. Exactly. I I can't wait to see that one on your website. <laughs> um, speaking of though, uh, so on Twitter and stuff as well, I always see that you say like you just submitted uh, so and so to whatever publishing mag or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it reminds me a lot of way back when I started in like 2013, 2012, uh, starting making music. I would always submit it to like uh, YouTube channels, right? Mm -hmm. Like like a chill hop. But back then it was like Mr. Suicide Chief and all that. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to see like what the parallels are with that. When I was doing it, everything seemed so oversaturated and I couldn't even get through. Do you feel like that's kind of the same thing with the writing that you're submitting? I think it's kind of across the spectrum. I think there's certain journals and certain magazines that are super competitive and they'll get, you know, thousands of submissions each reading period. And you might submit something and they'll say, okay, the, the response time is four to six months. And by the time, by the time they respond, it's usually a rejection and you already forgot about what you even sent. You're like, okay. Um, whereas there's other ones that might be a little bit more small, um, more DIY, and they might respond to you in a week. Um, and that one you might have a little bit of a better chance because they're just getting started or they might be, you know, my stuff, like we said, is a little bit more surreal and kind of off kilter. And I'm not probably not going to win like, a giant national book award prize for, you know, the next uh, Twilight series. So I feel like sometimes I'm not as mainstream, whereas, you know, there's other capital P poets who are really like, you know, very, for very true formalists. They've received their graduate degree. Um, they got their MFA. They're kind of going through these, you know, big grants and trying to get these um, residencies. Um, so all of that is super, super com competitive. And you kind of have to have the resume to show for it, or you have to, you know, really be able to write a hell of a poem. Yeah. But I'm kind of like, I feel like the stuff that the places where I submit to is kind of like a, like the middle tier, you know, it's not, it's not pitchfork to use the the music reference, but it's also not someone that always accepts everything that I send. Um, but places like, you know, like ear milk, where it's a little bit more or pigeons and planes, where you, you respect their taste, they have a good following, they might actually reply to your email. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like, you know, Wall Street Journal or whatever, New Yorker, um, Paris Review, which is kind of like, you know, the highest you can go. But yeah, there's as far as creative writing in that whole world, it's definitely, I'm not sure if it's oversaturated, but it's there's definitely a lot of places you can get your work out. I feel like when I was in college, um, they didn't teach us how to like submit your work or how to send it. It just seemed like if you want to get into writing, you know, good luck. It seemed like it was yeah. very discouraging. You know, I, I majored in journalism because I felt like an English major would do nothing for me. Um, I, I just had the idea like, okay, I'll be an English teacher or I'll be an English major and I'll be working in a restaurant the rest of my life. That's just like what the what the stigma was, but no one told you how to set up uh, an account and submit poems or submit short stories. You have to kind of figure that out on your own. Um, 
but there's a website called Submittable, which is very similar to like SubmitHub, I guess, with the music okay. world. Yeah. So it's kind of similar to that. I, I wish it was as fast as SubmitHub where, you know, it's like, what, 24, 48 hour reply. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them are very similar where you can, you can see if something's in progress. You can see if it got rejected. You can see if it got accepted. Um, it's an automated response. Um, sometimes they're free. Sometimes they're, you know, $2, $3. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I kind of came from the music world. So when I first started writing, I was thinking like, oh, I'm just working on some demos. Oh, I'm working on my EP. Yeah. I'm working on my full length. You know, I kind of have that music headspace. And people are, you know, the people in the poetry world, like, what are you talking about? EP. Oh, chat, chat book. Okay. That's the new phrase. <laughs> okay. Okay. Chat book. That's yeah, really so cool. they say like chat chat book is like maybe like twenty to thirty five pages, kind of like like an EP, um, usually mm -hmm. like a smaller run, and then the full length manuscript if you're doing poetry or anything like that, it's usually sixty to seventy five, eighty pages. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's interesting because even when thinking about what you do, I always go back to the music as well, or like the music system. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, industry. Um, I'm glad to hear that writers have something like submit hub because even before submit hub was a thing i was always like how are you supposed to submit everything <laughs> like <laughs> it's impossible yeah yeah i would just i would just kind of like you know when i when we were doing um you know the sleep releases or those 10 minute eps through neon pajamas um i would just like cold call all these blogs looking to get blog posts and the amount of people that just would never reply at all you know it's so discouraging um, whereas at least with submit hub, you get that, that quick gratification, even if they tell, you no, you at least know that it's not just pending forever. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about too, cause I never, I, until I was, uh, you know, researching for this and on your website and stuff, I didn't know about, uh, hand castle and drawing a blank. Like oh, okay. they're like, are they zines? Yeah. So they were, um, so drawing a blank came first. Um, I forget why I even decided to start doing that. I think I just um, I started going to Chicago music or the Chicago Zine Fest. Um, I saw mm -hmm. all these people, you know, just printing out pages and folding them in half and stapling them and doing these limited runs of just very DIY uh, multimedia stuff. Whether that was books of collage art or comic books um, or just a collection of different murals. So I just was. I think that was around the time that I was really kind of branching away, not away, but branching out of music and into visual art and collage art, poetry a little bit at that time. And I just had this kind of Rolodex in my head. I'm like, oh, I would love to get a drawing from them. I would love to get a poem from them. I would love to get some handwritten lyrics from them. Oh, um, nice, yeah. So Drawing a Blank was just kind of my first attempt at trying to curate something that wasn't music-based. And I think we even soundtracked this. So there was some music involved. But yeah. it was just, I think we maybe printed out 20 or 25 copies. Um, and then it's now available as a PDF. Nice, yeah. Um, and then from there, my friend Ryan, who lives out in Boston, um, he runs a independent label called Every Deja Vu. They do a lot of like um, indie R and B and like um, bedroom pop stuff like that. Um, and he reached out to me and just really liked um, kind of like what you're saying, just the the art that I was sharing and that zine that I helped out with, and just saw my timeline of sharing all this great art. And he has the graphic design skills. I kind of have the curating skills. So we just made a list and. I think we've done we've done three issues now for Handcastle, and yeah. it was just a fine mixture of you know um, an illustrator who's just digital um, and a muralist who goes out in the world and paints on walls. Um, a poet. Uh, we interviewed the rapper Milo, um, who's now now known as Rap Ferrara. We interviewed the Marias, um, but yeah, very multimedia, just kind of showcasing like a 
almost like a flip through or going to an art gallery or something like that. Yeah. How, how do you find putting out something physically versus like sharing it on Twitter? Obviously, it's probably more gratifying, I would assume. It's gratifying. It's definitely gratifying to receive the item in the mail and hold it in your hands. Like, I've made this. This is amazing, you know? Um, but the instant that you start trying to market yourself and buy these physical items, as opposed to just click on this and listen, um, I found that that was like the first time where I was like, oh, okay, it's tough to sell a magazine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. we, you know, we, we bought, I think we did 100 copies for the first issue and we sold maybe 60 of them. But I was like, oh, 100, you know, we'll, we'll do a second run. It was very ambitious. And then I was like, oh, it's hard to, you know, to sell stuff. Before, all I was doing was SoundCloud links and stuff like that, um, never with the tangible object. So the second run, we did 50, and that was a little bit more um, feasible. But it's uh, definitely a different market. It's really nice to, to hold something and ship it and have someone else receive it, and they share it online, um, kind of spread that word. But, yeah, getting out there and actually selling something and marketing it is, is tricky. Yeah, I remember when I was first releasing my music on vinyl my first one i did like 20 copies of i found a really good vinyl presser in in uh, england i think and he was like yeah i can do 20 just for fun and i was like perfect and then those sold out like instantly nice so i was like wow i was like awesome i'm good to go uh and then i put out we all speak in poems and i ordered 300 copies <laughs> <laughs> and uh i still have like 200 of them in wow. my closet you know um, and ever since then, it's just been all over the place, like trying 100, 200. And yeah, it's very hard to sell anything. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's tough. Especially when there's a free version of it right. online. Right. You know, it's like nobody has to buy it. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, I'm like kind of over it. But <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting that you started out in the opposite where you started small, saw the quick results. Because as soon as you said 20, I was like, that's exactly where we should have started. You know, that would have been. Then it would have been like, okay, we'll do another run of 20, kind of get that hype going. Um, but yeah, 300 or 100, it's like, oh boy, I got to give these to my yeah. mom. I got to give these to relatives. <laughs> exactly. And that's now, yeah, I always order extra for everybody like that. So I'm like, oh, we've already sold 20. Right. <laughs> but it's actually only, you know, seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm finally getting out, um, hopefully next year or, you know, maybe 2023. I'm not sure, but I've, I've been talking with a couple of presses about, you know, getting a full-length collection out or maybe a chat book and getting some physical oh, wow. stuff where it's just my writing and I'm already kind of sweating about like, what if no one buys them? You know, like, what if people don't, what if people don't hit the pre-save, you know, stuff like that. Where now I, I kind of, I kind of feel the producer's pain of having all these vinyls and like having to turn in, turn it into a little bit of a market, you know? For sure. I'm in, I would hundred percent buy it. Like Thank if you. I would have known about uh, the mags, like, cause I remember when I think it was um, drawing a blank, the artwork on that is very iconic to me because uh, that's the one with the face with the large glasses, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when you started posting about that. I was like, "That artwork's so sick! I want a print of that or something." Um, but I guess I just never really knew what it was, and I guess I missed it. <laughs> um, but I would have got those hundred percent. Yeah, I think I, I think that cover was done by um, Work the Angle, also known as Maddie Andres, and. Uh, to loop back into memoir music, he actually did like when we first started doing the releases, he was doing the line art for us. Um, oh, and that, wow. that Coastal Wander um, Collections 3 that you're on, um, he did all, mm -hmm. the, all the line art for that as well. So not only is he like a super talented photographer, but he also does his interesting line arts. And then he kind of like can go into like a complete freehand, almost like a graffiti style as well. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I was going to ask who, who did them. Uh, does he, did he do all the artwork for your like e chapter books like dress code aquarium and stuff? 
Um, it seems similar, like the styles. Yeah, it does seem similar, actually, now that you say that. But the dress code aquarium was from... Um, oh, where is she from? Not Holland. I think she was from Copenhagen. Um, but yeah, this European visual artist, and I really liked her stuff. And I just messaged her. She had already released um, all of this art. And I wanted to just kind of make a quick little test run of dress code aquarium. Um, so she just let me commission that art that had already been made um, just for oh, that. nice. And yeah, but yeah, I, I kind of like that, that kind of messy sketching, you know, where it's not super pristine. I feel like with chill up, you kind of have to be, everything has to be very concise and very pristine and it has to be very HD. Um, but yeah. for my own stuff, I like much more of the paint splatter and much more of the raw kind of, kind of uh, no direction kind of going, you know, open, open more to experimentation and abstraction. For sure. And yeah, I was just about to ask, like, so you talked about hopefully pressing something in the future of just your writing, like what kind of artwork would you be looking for for that? Since your stuff is very surreal and everything, like would you kind of go off the main uh, flash fiction or poem that you like and then kind of base it off that? Or would you try to encompass the whole project? Yeah, that's a great question. And daunting. <laughs> it's like, how do you, yeah. how do you get one yeah. image to, to sum up your entire, your entire art or your entire book? But there's definitely, so I have various kind of writing projects that I have and, you know, I browse and look through so much different art that I'll kind of tag something or I'll be like, okay, this is a mood board for this book. Oh, this would be a cool cover. Or I'll see a certain direction and I really like, okay, this, this, this artist might be nice if anyone ever accepts this book, then I can email them. Um, so I do have like little folders set aside, but, you know, it's always very, um, yeah, kind of that comical, just weird art that kind of. Yeah, I don't think I would go too much toward like the typical um, illustrations or art that covers books. But yeah, something that yeah kind of just looks like my Twitter feed or something that kind of bleeds off the page and doesn't really look like uh, super concise and clean. I want to have it a little bit messy because I think my stories are always a little bit off off the beaten path a little bit, a little bit strange. So I don't want to have something that looks like, a, you know, like it's trying to be a New York Times bestseller or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. Actually, it's so funny that you mentioned that because... When I first got into reading, like growing up, I never read. It's I never liked school. I didn't read. And then uh, since I started dating my partner, Chantel, you know, she was always a reader and stuff. And so I slowly got into it. And it was actually really interesting. I was visually seeing at the bookstores, all of the <laughs> covers of the books start to have this, this style mm -hmm. with, you know, they're fully, the text is fully covering the whole thing. And it's in large, bold letters with like, you know, some, some Tumblr-esque <laughs> illustration on the front. Yep. And I, I was like, this is so interesting. Even still, like more and more books have this. And I'm like, are they just hiring the same designer? Right. For it's almost like, it's almost like they've seen what works and okay, let's just, let's bounce off of this because they know it's an effective result. But yeah, I saw an article recently and they were talking about how they clump them all together and it was called like the book design blob or something like that, where it's like, oh, it's kind of like faded bright colors in the back. And then yeah. like you said, the full text covering the whole page. Yeah. Um, yeah. They almost like overlap into each other. It's kind of. Yeah. Cause at first I really liked it. I was like, Oh, this is going to be a good book because somebody actually cared about what the design was. And now it's like, you can't tell because right? <laughs> everything has it, no matter what type of book, no matter anything. Yeah. 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 It's very deceiving. It's almost like, yeah, it's like you're getting a certain wave where, uh, to loop back into the music world, I wonder if it'll eventually phase out of like the anime covers and the yeah. low, if, if the lo-fi art will eventually go into a different direction or if it'll, you know, yeah. so there isn't so much cookie cutter. Was it Chill Hop who started the whole lo-fi girl 
artwork? Yes, Joe Apple did the very first uh, YouTube live stream, and it featured um, the studying character from the movie Wolf Children, the anime Wolf right. Children, um, where she's kind of like falling asleep at her desk, taking notes. Um, and then it got taken down because of copyright. And then from there, we launched uh, the raccoon kind of in the bedroom and then the walking raccoon later. So that was technically the first, yeah, the first, you know, 24-7 lo-fi study beats, all of that. Um, Man, they changed the game with that. Yeah, really, right? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, everybody's doing it. Yeah, now it's just a completely different world. Man, that's crazy. Um, and I think that was maybe 2014, 2015. Yeah, it must have been, right? Yeah, I think 2014 maybe sounds right. Um, and it's so this leads me on to the next thing is um, you've actually, I feel like you've been able to watch pretty closely how lo-fi and the artists that you cover grow. Like, how has that been? It's interesting. It's really, it's one of those things where you're always kind of trying to predict where the, like what direction things are going to go or what way people are going to take, you know, where it's, I felt like for a really long time, and it's still the case where, okay, no one's sampling anymore. Everyone's only using organic instruments and field recordings and really making that crackle sound in the background authentic as opposed to uh, ripping something off of YouTube and looping it or whatever. Um, but then I feel like after that kind of ran its course, people are kind of going back to sampling again or trying to just reinvent the wheel, you know, constantly where you get tired of something and you try something new. Or, you know, I see a lot of artists that, like they'll start, you know, very typical lo-fi beats with samples and then they'll go organic and then they'll start singing. And there's just a natural evolution or progression where it's like, okay, I've already done this. I've already done this. All right, let's try some vocals. You know, sometimes it really works. Sometimes it doesn't. They go back to the starting starting point or they go back to the drawing board. Yeah, I, I feel um, like a lot of these guys have really blown up as soon as they started to take, I don't know, I don't want to call it bedroom pop. I guess it's lo-fi pop now or something. Mm-hmm. Um they really went all in with that. I feel like, especially the majors. I feel like once the majors started dipping their hand in, all of a sudden these, like, lo-fi vocal guys just blew up. Totally. Yeah, it was almost like these songs on SoundCloud that were just demos. You know, would be just good enough to be on the radio for certain. If it if it just came out, you know, two years later, three years later, it was like the when the bedroom scene exploded. It was like, you know, we've been listening to stuff like that on SoundCloud for years, and now it's just getting some mainstream exposure. But yeah, people. I feel like now more than ever, people are trying to test their vocals and almost treating it like another instrument. You know, maybe they don't have any actual lyrics in their songs. They're just humming. Um, or Sleepy Fish is a good example for a chill-up artist who has been slowly adding a little bit more harmonies, um, background vocals, but almost treating it, like I said, treating it like an instrument and just adding another level to, to the orchestration. Yeah, speaking of Sleepy Fish, he's, I mean, ever since he was Izzard, he has been so ahead of it the whole time. Oh, yeah. I remember, like... I, I, I knew him back in what, maybe 2015 or so when he was Izzard only. Um, and he was killing it back then. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't even know he was Sleepy Fish until like the latest album. I messaged him and I was like, I, I had no clue. Like, <laughs> no wonder this stuff's so good. Yeah, really um, impressive stuff. And yeah, I think I was the same way where there was, I first heard Izzard working on a song with Alex, A-L-I-C-K-S and I think I might have even found out about you through through that kind of sphere. Um, but those Izzard and Alex songs from the jump, like, oh my gosh, so good. So so emotional, but so strong too. And speaking of Alex too, like as soon as he started the Alex project with the spaces in between, mm-hmm. that blew up too. And, oh, was, yeah. and he's, an, he's a person that I knew back then too and who's always been killing it. And I remember 
like looking at their numbers one day and I was like, whoa, they are blowing right? up. <laughs> it's so awesome to see. And I feel like I feel like those Alex with the spaces, I feel like when those came out, everyone was trying to do these organic instruments and stuff. And those releases were straight back to the basics, straight back to just lo-fi loops. And they were so good and so effective. And it just goes to show yeah. that, you know, you don't need to hop on a wave. As long as your stuff is is fire, people are going to hear about it. Exactly. And I was like, man, I should have started an instrumental hip hop right. project <laughs> six years ago. Maybe just Alaska <laughs> with the spaces in between. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, that could actually work probably. <laughs> Speaking of vocals though, have you ever tried to add any any singing or harmonies on your songs? Yeah, we've done a couple. Like we did um more like chant vocals mm. I'm really into with, with ambient music. Uh like in the ocean no longer want, wants us. Um there were those vocals. Um I think there was like four of us and then in a track I did recently that I actually can't remember the name. Oh, um uh, Now We're Awake and Everything's Okay. Mm. Um, I got like all my friends to, to sing on it. So it's just this one big chant. I, I find those are really, really nice. nice. And then every once in a while we, you know, mess around with some super lo-fi acoustic guitar tracks. Cool. Cool. Um, but it's something that I'm like, it's almost not worth it unless I make another project. Right. <laughs> honestly, you know what I mean? Yeah. So never straying too far from like the campfire chants. Yeah. I like that though. Exactly. Yeah. I like it too. It's just, you know. It doesn't perform as well. Yeah, yeah. But you're not you're not going full full hook and chorus and verse. Exactly. Yeah. And I have to start thinking about, you know, how it markets itself. Yep. Like everything. <laughs> um yeah, like everything. Um yeah, before we end it too, so I saw on your website as well that you were a Peace Corps volunteer. Mm -hmm. Like from twenty eleven to twenty thirteen. What does that actually entail? So that entails um, two years of being in a third world country and um, working in your community wherever you're assigned. So I, uh, I, I did a semester while I was in college in Spain, um, like my first time really kind of studying abroad. And I came back to Mishawaka, Indiana. I was working at Olive Garden and I was just miserable. I was like, I need to get back out in the world. You know, I saw the world. I saw a glimpse of the world. And now I'm back in you know, Indiana. So from there, I was kind of looking at, you know, there's these options for World Teach. There's options for Peace Corps. Um, and it just seemed seemed exciting. So I applied um, during my senior year of college. And yeah, I was in Ecuador for two years. Um, wow. They do three months of training in the capital. And you work on every day. You do eight hours of intensive language training, um, cultural training, um, how to work in your community, um, whether that's teaching English or doing like health and resources um, or just community development in general. And then from there, after those three months, you go to your site and you're there for two years. So it's a 27-month project. Oh, and yeah, it's it's wild. By the end of the time, I was like a little bit eager to get home because it had been a really long time. Um, but from the start, I mean, that first year, those first two years, you know, the last few months was kind of like, okay, I'm ready. But those first two years, I mean, those are like the best years of my life. I feel like I learned so much. You're just thrown into this other culture and you have to kind of land on your feet and figure it out. And it's so rewarding and you know, no matter where you are in this in this little town where I was in Ecuador, I was a foot taller than everybody else. I'm the only white guy. So everyone's asking me questions. I just feel like, you know, there's certain places in America where if you showed up and you tried to integrate, you'd be like, no one's talking to me, you know, and everyone's looking at their phones. People aren't friendly. Um, but when I arrived there, I was nervous for all those reasons. And everyone was just, where are you from? What's your name? You know, just already willing yeah. to talk. So it kind of got my jitters out of the way because they were doing the work for me, you know. So I made 
a hundred contacts in the first week. Cause everyone was like, Oh, there's this new guy on the street. You know, we're all stuck in this, these villages and we know everyone for so long. And now there's this one guy who's kind of sticking out. Um, and from there it just felt like home. I mean, I feel like I adapted really quickly and everyone was just so friendly. Um, I worked at the local library in the community. Um, and then I also helped te teach English as well. And there was a senior citizens group, um, just a little bit of everything, but it was total blast. Yeah, it's so nice hearing that there are places where people are just like friendly still when you go yeah. on the street. Like, go to South America. South America people yeah. are so friendly. Yeah. Yeah, you go to walk your dog and it's just like keep your head down. Right. You don't want to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, like you'd like leave a party in Ecuador and you had to either shake every guy's hand or kiss every woman's cheek before leaving. And you know, you'd be at a party and there'd be 50 people. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to take me 20 minutes to leave. So, <laughs> yeah. whereas in the States, you kind of just Houdini and get out of here and no one sees you. Um, exactly but yeah it's interesting to yeah it seems like part of me feels like it was so recent that i just got back and other parts like oh wow that was 10 years ago that i left you know it goes by so quickly yeah. for real so now like my spanish isn't nearly as strong i still try to use it but i'm like i, I gotta go back one of these days i gotta return see my see my host family yeah exactly that's so cool like you don't really hear about people doing that much either, you know, and, and that's inspiring in, in and of itself. Like, I'm sure you said you it was your senior year, year of college mm -hmm. when you went. Yeah, that was that was when I applied. And as soon as I graduated, I left. Wow. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, in the years right after you graduate college, you have no idea what you're doing. Right. So to be able to kind of skip that, I'm sure you still had these feelings when you got back. Like, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. But. I don't know, maybe was it still as, um, you know, anxiety driven, you know, trying to figure it out or because of this, was it, you know, okay? It was, yeah, it was a little bit of both. You know, it was one of those things where while, while I was out there, I started writing uh, music reviews for the blog Mishka. That's kind of where I got my start. And I was just doing it for fun, you know, no pay, just kind of having, you know, once a week I would just do like a 500 word little write up about a random little B album or some Southern rapper or something. Um, and from there, you know, I kind of, like you said, I did these two years in Peace Corps kind of to postpone whatever I was going to do with my life, Yeah, um, trying to find my way. And part of me was like, do I go back and go to grad school? Do I go, you know, do I keep staying down, down here and, you know, extend for a year and do another project? Um, but as I'm doing this, I was doing so many music reviews and I was just hearing about this new wave of hip hop going on in Chicago. And my family is only about two hour drive from Chicago. So that was always like the closest big city. Um, but while I was in Ecuador, that was when like, Chance the Rapper's Acid Rap got really big. Um, Vic, Vic Mensa's internet tape where I was like, oh, okay. You know, Chicago's kind of slowly coming on the map. And the more that I started doing these music um, reviews, the more I wanted to do music interviews and music, you know, any kind of blog post. So that by the time that I got back, I was like, I don't want to do grad school. I want to go to Chicago. I want to go to shows. I want to write about these concerts. I want to meet these rappers. I want to meet these producers. Yeah. Um, so I feel like those two years abroad kind of just – let me kind of hone in on what I wanted to do. And when I came back to the States, I was like a hundred percent music. That's all I wanted to do. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so I'm very glad I didn't do grad school. I'm very glad I almost went to Denver for a little bit. So I'm glad I came back to Chicago and really jumped into the, to the hip hop world. Cause 2013, 2014, 2015 Chicago hip hop was like peak. It was so fun. I was like, there was a show every night and you know, it was just one of those, one of those kind of nostalgic eras where I just was like, you know, it was always always a good rapper coming the next day or a studio session or, you know, we did like a 24-hour beat-making session. Oh, wow. all, of, all of that was just a blast. Yeah, it's almost like 
you can look back on that and be like, I'm glad I was there. You know, like, totally. You didn't miss that era. Yeah, yeah. You were yeah. literally being able to see it. Yeah, because I I was like, like I said, I was getting ready to go, or I was thinking about doing Denver, and I looked up the music in Denver, and it was like Pretty Lights, and that was it. And I was like, uh, and you know, no disrespect to Pretty Lights, but there was just so many Chicago artists where I was like, oh my gosh, if I'm in Denver for grad school, I'm going to see all these concerts and all these scenes, and I'm just going to get you know FOMO. Yeah, for real. Um, yeah, so it, was, it was a nice way of kind of getting returning and still being kind of close to home, and still kind of, and then really honing in on on my passions. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, did did you like grow up with hip hop? Is is it always been like a forefront of your music interests? Not always, not always particular hip hop. Um, but yeah, even, I mean, late middle school, early high school is kind of when I started getting into it. But from the start, I was really into, I guess, just like your typical like generic indie rock. You know, that was my you know. Well, I guess I first got into like classical rock, but it was like Beck, Flaming Lips, um, Wilco. It was like some early, like, you know, 13, 14 year old me. I was like, oh my gosh, good music is out there, you know? Um, and then I think right around then, you know, year or two after that is when like college dropout and late registration came out. And that was like Lil Wayne, uh, Carter one and two came out. And that was like, I'm done. This is amazing. So from there, I was kind of full, full force hip hop for a really long time and, you know, still am. Oh man, that's amazing. <laughs> But I still like, you know, like I said, like we, you know, we, we obviously enjoy ambient and, you know, instrumental music. Um, even like I like like folk and a little bit of bluegrass kind of going into that range. And my partner is really into jazz. So I've even been listening to a lot of jazz recently. Oh, amazing. I just feel like maybe like heavy electronica or like trance house, I feel like maybe is the only genre that I have yet to like know anything about or really get into. Um, but I mean, there's always a new genre. I'm like, okay, this is good. You know, I can respect this. I enjoy this. Yeah, it's kind of the same with me. Yeah. You know, like uh, my my genre is kind of the older hip hop stuff is what I haven't and actually modern hip hop. I'm not I haven't really gotten into it yet. Mm. I haven't I haven't gone down the rabbit holes yet. You know, um, it's all in time, though. I'm sure that will oh, yeah. come because it's <laughs> it's deep. I know. Oh, yeah. And um, endless. Yeah. It's like if you have some good speakers and you're on a long drive, some of those songs with heavy bass just really you just you just feel like you're on top of the world. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, that's amazing. Um, that being said, is did I miss anything? <laughs> we covered a lot. I don't think so. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot more questions, but you know, I'd be happy to have you on again in the future. You know, with the with the projects that you come out with in the future and everything. Absolutely. Um, with that being said, to the listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, go check out neonpajamas.com and chill hop memoir and just go read ben's writing because it will just floor you trust <laughs> me because it did for me hopefully it'll um, uh, hopefully it'll pull off your head and have it rolling down the stairs yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um but yeah thank you for listening and uh see you on tuesday thanks so much <laughs>